0: This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. I'm Cynthia Graber. The National Institutes of Health recently published a statement requiring sex as a biological variable in studies, and that grants would be judged on that basis as well. This is in part simply because it's good science and in part to correct for decades in which both animal and human studies were largely conducted with male subjects. A new review paper was published in the journal Neuropsychopharmacology in response to this NIH statement called Sex as a Biological Variable, Who, What, When, Why, and How. The authors are Tracy Bale, professor of neuroscience and psychiatry, and Neil Epperson, professor of psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Bale says that sex has a direct impact on brain development. In all animals, there's a period of development in which testosterone in males is transformed in the brain into estradiol and produces changes in development. There are also differences cued by the X and Y chromosomes. The result is a sexually dimorphic brain, meaning there are physical differences between males and females.
1: And this is important because throughout your lifespan, if you are a female that didn't have that exposure or a male that then did, your brain will respond differently to its environment, including the pubertal window, of which you have then the onset again of activational hormones. And so your brain is sort of a match between its programming during that neonatal window and its functional activational state throughout the remainder of your life. Dr. Epperson?
2: In the human, I mean, it's obviously complicated because some of these sexually dimorphic regions are regions that promote sexual behavior and reproductive-related behaviors. And for a long time in neuroscience and reproductive endocrinology, people kind of focused on those particular brain regions. And um, I think that when it comes to clinical neuroscience and thinking about human individuals with respect to behavioral disorders, I would arguably say people still Aren't really being taught and one of the reasons for this paper <laughs> is that clinicians and people in neuroscience, I don't think they're being taught overall quite you know, the importance of, of sex differences. And I think that's still relatively new. This has important
0: implications for neuroscience and psychiatric pharmacology. Different inputs at critical times in brain development might have a different impact on a male or female brain. Doctor Bale, how might this play out in animal research?
1: If you see differences, just as an example in a an animal model study, You're working on mice or rats, let's say, and you see you know, a significant difference in an outcome because you expose the animals prenatally or postnatally or during puberty to some perturbation, uh, an infection or a stress. And then you study those animals throughout their life in terms of behavioral responses or how their stress axis works or changes in their brain patterns, et cetera and you see sex differences, meaning one of the sexes was vulnerable to that perturbation and one was not. Well, now you have information and specific windows of development that you can learn in terms of how the brain was developing and which sex may be more vulnerable. Well, that's hugely informative because now you can begin to study that window of time. You can map on that period of brain development to what happens in humans. You can begin to really think about the mechanism by which one sex is protected and the other is vulnerable. And that's hugely informative for trying to figure out why in, in many cases there are uh, sex and gender differences in, in human psychiatric disease.
0: Let's talk about designing studies to better account for these differences. I understand that one of the previous scientific concerns had been that females, both animals and human, were thought to be more variable than males in neuroscience and psychiatric studies because of their menstrual cycle. But
1: you found in animal models that isn't the case, correct, Dr. Bell? What uh, we've cited in the manuscript is that there are several studies now that have documented, in fact, that females are actually less variable when looking across many, many different studies. This has been repeated in both mice and rats, that in fact, in these animal studies published, the error and the variability in the data are less in females than males. So that is no longer an acceptable justification. So what what we've laid out in the document is to give sort of basic guidelines for, you know, if you do a comparison and you see a robust sex difference, and then you might be interested in understanding the potential of of what's driving those differences. Once you see you have a sex difference, then you have gangbusters of, of mechanistic questions you can begin to ask. Is it hormonally related and or chromosomally related? What's driving these sex differences? And the point really that NIH is making is that they're not pushing people to understand the estrous cycle or the contributions, let's say, of, of estrogen in, in outcomes, what they want is people to do their initial examination, powering enough with males and females to be able to at least ask, do there appear to be robust differences between, in, in these outcomes between males and females? And Dr. Epperson, how does this play out on the human side?
2: Well, on the human side, I think it depends on what you're studying. You know, if you're studying a disorder that occurs predominantly in females, such as um, depression and anxiety, then I think you're hard-pressed to say you're only going to study males unless there's something specific about the male that you're interested in examining. So, for example, if you are interested in androgens, for example. And, you know, we know that men who have low androgen levels prematurely will present with depression, phenotype, fatigue, weight gain, loss of libido, a number of the kinds of symptoms that now people call sort of menopause. (laughs) So you would obviously say if, if that's what you want to study, then sure, you're going to be studying men. But if you're looking at things like, for example, migraines or autoimmune disorders, and you're saying that you're only studying men, I think you'd have to really justify sort of why you were doing that. And thus, you know, it would be very important in randomized clinical trials, particularly of, you know, new pharmacotherapies, that if the disorder really occurs more frequently in females, that you need to have a representation of enough females in your sample to be able to say, does this... Medication that we are testing appear to work as well at the same dosage of the medication that we see works in males, and so the onus is upon I think you know the you know particularly pharma to make sure that they can look at least at gender initially before they release a the medication to go to the FDA. Um, you know a number of drugs have been pulled off the market um, in the past 10 years, or it had their labeling changed simply because the adverse effects in women were there that they didn't notice prior to FDA approval. And again, perhaps they just never looked at potential sex differences in their randomized clinical trials. And I would arguably say that that should be something that the FDA requires, not just the NIH, but the FDA requires of uh, future medications to come to market. When it comes to other aspects of sort of thinking about sex and gender in clinical trials or clinical research, maybe you're not focused on, you know, thinking about uh, medication, but you're doing brain imaging. You know, there are major sex differences in how the brain is developed, and to just lump males and females together and say that they're the same, whether you're studying autism or whether you're studying, you know, depression. I would arguably say that you'd have to strongly justify excluding one population over the other. And if you're going to study them together, then really, you know, power your samples so that you can look at potential sex differences. Dr. Bale and Dr. Epperson say that deliberately including sex as a biological
0: variable in studies could have important repercussions in the field of neuropsychopharmacology.
1: If there's a, a gender or sex difference in a given outcome, you know, in human disease, there's many instances where we have gender differences in presentation, treatment, etc. So are there not likely to be mechanistic insight from animal models that could inform us as to novel drug therapies, novel targets, novel treatment regimens, etc.? You know, understanding the vulnerability as well as the resilience is hugely informative for, for understanding uh,
2: disease. Right. And how what might lead to resilience in a male might lead to risk for a female. And so I think we do have to, you know, when there's studies looking at, for example, chronic stress in rodent models and, you know, brain changes that occur under chronic stress can be different depending upon brain region, as well as whether you're a male or a female. And so, again, it, it sort of gives us clues to why there might be different responses to Early life stress or prenatal stress, or postpubertal stress um, between males and females, and then what leads to risk and resilience. This is
0: the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology: to read sex as a biological variable: who, what, when, why, and how, go to www.nature.com/npp. I'm Cynthia Graber.